that what is said and done here is done in your name and for the glory of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, As we start, I would love for you to think about a life-changing moment uh, that has occurred to you. What it is, a a time in your life that has really changed who you are, uh, that's transformed you. It could be you received some sort of news, really good news, really bad news, uh, and that news has kind of shaped you and changed you. It could be you started building up a habit and it it, it grew and it grew and that's, that's changed who you are. A big one for me was uh, a few years ago, I lost about, I decided I was going to lose weight and ended up losing about 30 kilos. I put on 20 after that, but I lost 30, so I'm proud of that. Uh, but part of that change, true change, real change, and, and part of that change, it involves a permanent difference of who you are. Uh, to lose weight, I couldn't just start walking an extra five minutes a day, although that is really helpful. I couldn't just do a few things. I had to completely change everything about myself. I had to change my eating habits. I had to change the way I look at food. I had to change a lot. And real, true change is noticeable. When someone changes who they are, when something changes a person, generally you notice. If they've heard tragic news that has filled them with a deep sadness, people tend to notice. If they're full of joy because of good news, we notice. If they've lost weight, we tend to notice. If they've got a new haircut, we notice. Real change has a sense of sort of permanency to it, an ongoing change. Uh, As Stuart told you last week, we're looking at the book of Colossians, uh, and it's it's written to the town of Colossae. uh, And as he said last week, it's kind of a a nothing town. It's the the appen of... That's not really fair to appen, but it's a a nothing town. It's, It's not... Historically, it's not a big eventful town, not a lot's there, there's not a lot of ar- ar- um, architecture that we have discovered, uh, and it, it's sort of not much you hear about, about the town of Colossae. And yet, we have this letter in the Bible in which Paul has noticed in this nothing town a great change amongst the people, a great change in their life. And it's kind of an amazing thing to think about, that this nothing town we now have written in history that it existed, and that an apostle wrote to it. And I thought it would be good as we start to look at the change that Paul noticed in the people of Colossae. So, we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians Corinthians verses 3 to 8, if you would read with me. It says, We thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Paul has heard and noticed and realized that there has been a great change amongst these people. And I thought it would be good to to reflect and think about some of those changes that Paul has noticed. Uh, the first big change that he's noticed is that they have shown love and faith to the people of God. Paul had never met these people. Uh, Paul had never visited this town, and yet he has heard of their love and faith for fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's this interesting idea that this change in their, this change in their faith, this change in their world brought about love and faith for others, particularly for the people of God. 
And it was a love and faith that didn't just come out of a desire to be kind, a desire to do good, but out of a hope in the truth. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven about which you have heard, the true message of the gospel. And I wanted to stop and just reflect on that that powerful idea of truth, hope in the truth of the gospel. Uh, When I used to work with teenagers in youth ministry, I, I asked them if they were excited to go to heaven. And generally the response was kind of like, yeah, I guess, kind of. And so I would challenge them. I'd ask them, would you rather go to heaven today or continue living on earth? And most of them would say, I would rather stay on earth. And what I want to challenge you today is that there is a difference between knowing the truth and knowing the truth. And what I mean is that one is, yeah, I get to go to heaven, and that's pretty good. The other is, Christ has died for my sins. He has paid for every ransom that I could not pay. He has paid for every debt that I couldn't do, and I now get to share as an adopted child of God in the glory of our Lord, experiencing a joy and pleasure and excitement that cannot even be comprehended by human minds. That is the truth of the gospel. That is the truth that draws the faith and love of the people of Colossae. Uh, I, I remember I was challenged once, and they said to me, while the gospel is relevant, while the message of new life is relevant, in some ways it doesn't really matter if it is or isn't. It matters that it's true. Because that is where our faith and our hope lie. But then Paul goes on to describe this idea that this faith and hope isn't just isolated to this town, but it's this idea of this this growing of fruit throughout the world, this this spiritual knowledge, this this joy, this faith and hope that spreads like a vineyard, a global vineyard across the world. It's not a static, isolated incident that's occurring here, but it is a, a massive event, an exciting event. And Paul has noticed this change and he is excited for the people of Colossae. And so what does Paul do when he finds and hears about this change? Uh, When we see someone has changed, we might compliment them. We go, that's great. That's good of you. That's wonderful. But Paul doesn't just stop and go, it's really great that you've changed. He, He wants them to change more. And so he does this. He prays for them. And this part is not necessarily the main thing of the whole sermon, but it is a really impactful statement. He says, For this reason, since the day we have heard of you, we have not stopped praying for you. We have not stopped praying for you. Paul has never met these people, and yet he prays continuously for them. I don't even pray continuously for myself. And yet Paul prays nonstop that they will change and continue to change. Paul is really good at making us feel inadequate in our own spiritual lives by, by not in any way bragging, but just trying to express his excitement and, it, and all that. He's so excited about the gospel, the word of God, that he prays for them. And it's a real encouragement for us to consider who we can be praying for that we don't know. Do we pray for the Christians that we have never met? When we drive by a church... In an area we don't know, do we pray that the the word of God will be spoken truthfully and that they will grow? 
prays continuously for them. And he prays, not that they'll just be happy in their change, but they will continue to change. He says this, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom, all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Paul wants the, 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 the church to know and have spiritual intelligence. He wants them to know God more. And spiritual intelligence, spiritual wisdom, spiritual knowledge, however you want to word it, it's this idea of understanding who God is, who you are, and how that shapes and changes the way that you relate to him and that you will relate to God and to the world. And I, I was trying to think about what's a good way to describe spiritual wisdom and spiritual intelligence. It's knowing God's will. It's knowing God's will for your life, for this world, for the people around you. Uh, we, we like to pursue knowledge, especially in Western culture. We, are, we love information. We love to consume and devour, and, and it's really exciting for us to know new things. And so you'll often hear the questions like, if God could, can God microwave a burrito so hot that he can't eat it? Um, could he make a stone so heavy that he couldn't lift it? And all these sort of clever questions that they make these big philosophical thoughts in our heads. And the Bible often doesn't cover those ideas because the Bible isn't necessarily trying to just give us information about God. It's trying to tell us what we need to know. What we need to know. It's not telling us everything because we don't need to know everything. We need to know what God wants for us, what God has done for us and will do for us. Now, that being said, Stuart has sort of announced this morning, we do have a Jesus for the Curious uh, thing here at, at Oran Park, and if you are interested, he does probably look at those kind of questions a bit more, and you can get a bit more information about that. There are some interesting things to think about. Uh, so it'd be great if you are interested in that kind of question to sign up for that. But it's about knowing God's will. And this spiritual intelligence helps us on our spiritual journey. Paul continues in describing what he's praying for. He's praying that they may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. The, verb that, the word that Paul uses here, we've got to live a life, but the word that Paul uses here is actually the word to walk, that you will walk with the Lord. And he uses it throughout his letters. It's, and, and I love it because it's not so much this idea of just living, but it's this idea of this continuous, ongoing journey of walking and heading and this, this never-ending idea of, of travel. Uh, and as you'll see in the book of Colossians, that he actually talks about this ongoing journey, this desire to meet the end, and yet he hasn't quite got there yet. And so it's great as we look at this, this idea of, of Paul describing our life as a journey, and it's a journey with many different things to it. It's a journey in which we live to please the Lord. How often have you woken up in the morning? How often have I woken up in the morning and thought, I'm going to actively please the Lord today? It's not a natural thought for us. It's not a natural thing for us to think of. And I confess that plenty of times my first thought is, I really need to go to the bathroom. Um, but maybe a challenge for us is to wake up and think, what can I do, what is within my power to please God today? What is within my power to make him happy? 
It's interesting, uh, when you think of Jesus and the apostles, they are the polar opposite of self-help books. Self-help books are all about me, who I am, the greatest I can be, the best that I can be, and yet you get these apostles and Jesus who live so sacrificially that they kind of share the opposite message about God, someone else. Now, I want to be careful. I don't want to discourage self-help. There are, is important levels of self-care that are necessary. But we are told in the Bible that God, that Christ, and pleasing him is what matters most. And pleasing the Lord, living to please the Lord, walking to please the Lord brings about fruit, brings about real change in this world, in the lives of others. And I love it. Paul's already talked about the fruit spreading across the earth, and then he prays that these people here will also bring fruit. And walking in the Lord means growing his garden. And we need to kind of think of ourselves as international gardeners, spreading the word of God to grow the fruit. Uh, what's, our, what's our logo here? New life in every home. I need your help with this, guys. I've kind of forgotten to. In Oran Park and the Growing Southwest for their salvation. Thank you. Stuart knows it. You, the rest of us, we've got homework. But that idea of, of spreading new life to the world, that is our gardening. That is our fruit. And then he continues, he says, while growing in the knowledge of God. And I find this, it's really uh, humbling to think about this, this idea that, yeah, he wants you to be filled with spiritual intelligence, spiritual knowledge, and then he says, but you need to grow in the knowledge of God. And I think what he really highlights here is that knowledge is never-ending. Uh, if you've ever done a degree or, or done any sort of higher education, you start to realize as you finish that you know nothing about the thing that you've been studying. And it's not because you've been lazy. I mean, maybe it is. It's not because you haven't been paying attention. It's because when you seek wisdom, when you seek knowledge, you suddenly realize how narrow everything you know is and how much there is to know. And that's what it's like with God. I've talked to a few Bible college students, and their conclusion when they finish more college, I shouldn't tell you this in case a new graduate ever comes along, is that they don't know anything about the Bible. They're, just, they're still learning and they're seeking. And that's what it's like for all of us. There is no moment of ultimate, completed knowledge when it comes to God. We are continually growing. We are continually seeking his knowledge as we are continually walking in our journey with God. All of this stuff, all of this is an ongoing, continuous thing. The change that has, been, that has come into the people of Colossae is not a one-off, but a continual event, just like it is for all of us who want to know God. But that requires a lot of effort, requires a lot of strength, a lot of endurance. And so Paul prays also that they will have spiritual endurance. He prays this, he says, he prays that they will walk pleasing the Lord, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Some of you may have heard uh, recently this week, a, a, a big prominent figure in the American church and a faithful evangelical has decided to walk away from his faith and his marriage. And it was a tragic and terrible thing to hear. Uh, and it should break our hearts when we hear that kind of news. 
but it also highlights to us that even the best of us, even the, the, the people that seem to know everything, can slip and lose. So Paul's prayer here is that they will have endurance and patience and strength. Uh, now, there's a big difference between strength and endurance. Strength, in the most basic form, is how much you can carry. Endurance is how long you can carry it for. Uh, and my brother used to tell me he was a big, he was a big gym, gym guy. He had his own little cage thing at home. Uh, he used to always tell me that if you want to build strength, you get the heaviest weights that you can carry without hurting yourself, and you lift them slowly. And if you want to build endurance, you get the lightest weights you can carry and you lift them up and down really quick. And that's the most simplest way of building strength and endurance. And I was thinking between the two services, what's a good example? And I think for many of us, we go for the strength option. We, we come to church, we'll serve in church, maybe we'll, we'll come to a life group and we do that. And that's our strength. I'm like, yeah, but our endurance is every little day, waking and praying and thinking about the Lord, reading his word on our own, being disciplined. That is our endurance, to dwell on the Lord every day in the smaller times. Those are our little weight-lifting moments. But what I love about this verse here is that Paul doesn't say, go and exercise. He says, and he says that you will be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. The strength comes from God. And I think we get that prayer that strength, sorry, through prayer, through the reading of his word, through looking at the word and prayerfully asking our God to guide us. That is our strength, that is our endurance, and that is our patience. Uh, we've got our, our giving, living circle here, and as most of you will have noticed, if, you, if you've been paying attention at all during church, number eight is Endurance. And what I actually, I don't know if Stuart did this on purpose, but it's a circle. And the thing about a circle is that it never ends. You're just going around. And I actually was thinking about this today, and I was like, you know, you can endure, but sometimes you will, you, you, you'll falter. And you kind of have to start again in a way, not, not from scratch, because you already got a little bit ahead, but sometimes you have to reconnect. You have to rebuild re yourself again, because you've lost that. Endurance is kind of the end but the whole cycle never ends. What I love about Paul is that he is a very excited man. Uh, if, you've been, if you've ever read his letters, and you'll notice this, he says in verse 10, he's like, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and pleasing him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. And then you expect him, because what he's done for the other two is that he's supposed to tell you like, how to do it or, or the method that that would look like. But instead, he suddenly, he suddenly just gets really excited and he starts going, being strengthened with the power according to his glorious might so that you have great endurance and patience and giving, faithful, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the sons he loved in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. Now, I spoke like that on purpose because I want you to imagine that Paul... Is, is kind of speaking to a scribe and he's just suddenly got so worked up in the excitement that is redemption in the Lord. He's talking about endurance and long term and then he talks about this idea of just being so excited for the redemption that we've received in the word that what we get is forgiveness of sins. And while I think he, he's kind of lost his sort of logical thought 
I think he's still making a really important point to us when it comes to endurance, in that all of this endurance, wisdom, this journey, it is encouraged by the reminder of the work of Christ that we are spiritually redeemed in God. Christ has taken us from the authority, from the domain, from the dominion of darkness, and he has brought us into the kingdom of light. That is what Paul is excited about. That is the true hope that has changed the people in Colossians. We are spiritually redeemed. And it's an important word, redeemed, because to receive redemption, to be redeemed, kind of means to, the word actually means to purchase a slave's freedom. So if you were a slave, the only way you could not be a slave anymore was that if someone came and paid the debt that brought you into slavery, or the cost that was considered to be the value of that slave. And the word that God uses here is literally to purchase us from spiritual slavery, to buy our freedom with his blood on the cross. That is the truth. That is the hope. We are no longer slaves to sin, but free to life. This is what motivates and encourages and pushes us to continuously change who we are. So we have our spiritual knowledge, which guides our spiritual journey, which, strengthen, which is strengthened by God's spiritual endurance and motivated by our spiritual redemption in Christ. And I want to say, guys, that when we hear the message of God, when we hear the message of Jesus, we should be spiritually changed. Not once, not twice, but until the day, continuously, until the day that he comes or that we go to be with him. That is our goal, to change who we are, to please him. Our first reading today came from Psalm 32, and I picked it on purpose. I just wanted to read it to you again because I think it really beautifully shows the energy and excitement that we should have. It says this, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and whose spirit is, in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through the groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from the trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and brittle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all, you are upright and in heart. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. One of the biggest convictions I have when I read this letter 
from Paul is the joy that Paul feels for the kingdom of God. And it's admittedly a joy that I sometimes lack. A joy that Paul has for those who are being saved. A joy that I sometimes lack. There is this excitement, there is this eagerness, there is this desire. It's, it's just, you know, when Avengers came out, I was so, so excited to watch it. But I wonder if I've been that excited for the saving work of Christ in the lives of others. Am I desiring and seeking his knowledge? Am I consciously walking a life every day that shows that I understand who he is and the joy that he's given me and the desire to please him from that joy? Am I relying on his strength? And am I excited, keen, almost jittery for the day that I get to go and be with the Lord? Our joy, our hope, our truth is in God and his work. And I pray for myself for that joy, and I I pray for you, and we pray for each other, that we all continue to grow in the Lord as we walk on this earth. Let me finish in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the salvation that you have brought into us, that you have brought into this world that we now share in your inheritance in your kingdom as your people, children of God. Lord, we pray that you will help us to live a life that is motivated by change, a change that is brought by you, by the joy that you bring in this life, that you will make us joyful for everything that you do for us and eager for the day that you return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.